Hey everyone, it's Brian with Wildcat Radio, and if you are jonesing for some additional Pac-12 content after listening to Ronnie and Adam's preview of the NAU-Arizona game, which is quite good, so if you haven't listened to that, tune in. This is a special bonus episode from our 12-Pack Radio podcast with Rob and I and our new host, Max Meyer, who is the guru behind Sports Illustrated Gambling. He's excellent, and I really like the way this podcast is turning out. So we break down all of Week 1's Pac-12 action, and we preview the Pac-12 Week 2 games, and here it is. Oh, Pack Radio. Get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12 Pack Radio, the most interesting and punctual podcast. And your face coming up Monday morning, and we're live. That's right, live from the Vivid Seats studio, where, you know, download their app, get $100 off of your first up to $100. I hope it's a hundred. I hope you get the full hundred dollars if you download their app and uh, get some, some of your first time tickets from them. This is Brian Kong, the host of Twelve Pack Radio. Thank you for joining us. And holy goodness, a really fun week one. That Auburn Oregon game is still in my mind. Uh, just some devastating news out of USC, obviously with JT Daniels. And here to break it all down is from Sports Illustrated and Sports Illustrated Gambling, Mr. Max Meyer. What's up, Max? Not much. Uh, just very thankful and counting my lucky stars about that Auburn cover and thoughts and prayers if you were on Oregon and uh, if you were on Northwestern. Oh, absolutely. That was a brutal backdoor cover. And I happened to be on Northwestern that one. Not very fun. Not fun at all. And thanks again for joining the podcast. Again, Max has joined uh, 12 Pack Radio as a permanent host. And we are just going to roll through this season talking all Pac-12 news. We're going to record every single Sunday night. These will be up Monday morning, um, going through the entire week. And this is normally what we do. The beginning, we talk general ideas. Um, and then we do our contest updates. And then the second half, we're going to go game by game, talk each uh, each team's matchup and, and put them in context in regards to the matchups that each team had in the prior week. And, and you'll kind of see how this goes. Um, and I'm also joined by Mr. Rob Bowron, the, uh, the vice president, the senior advisor, the president and senior. CEO of the Beta Rank College Football Statistical Model, which, by the way, Rob, freaking went nuts this week. How's it going? Oh, it's, it's great. I mean, the the preseason model, and I'm always sort of tweaking it, like is the uh, the less accurate of the models, but uh, currently sitting at 58%, and then the modified project against the spread, and then the modified projection model was even better um, with a couple extra picks. But I was, I was all in on college football this weekend. I, I drove down and watched UCLA Cincinnati. I was... Um, I was at uh, FAU Ohio State uh, this weekend. I, I I saw two games. So, so you, you saw Lane Kiffin and Chip Kelly in the same week. That's incredible. I did. I did. One of those. I mean, oddly enough, even though they both lost, you would definitely argue Lane Kiffin had the better game. <laughs> <laughs> and Lane Kiffin covered. Good for him. Good for, I'm I'm still rooting for him down there in Florida. It didn't man. look like he was going to. I think they went down like twenty eight nothing practically before I even got in the stadium. But oh, hey, and like before we start, you can you can follow us on Twitter at Twelve Pack Radio. You can follow us uh, on our website sharpcollegefootball.com. And as Rob talks about his models and his projections, all of those numbers are on the website. As we go through our contests, if you're part of the Pac-12 Survivor Pool, it's on sharpcollegefootball.com. And we'll talk about a new contest that will be rolling out in two weeks. Um, 
with all that said, Max, let's start with you. Just a wild week for the Pac-12. Uh, what stood out most for you? What were some of your general impressions and some things you want to cover uh, early in the podcast? Um, well, I, I think the, the most impressive team has to, has to be Utah. But I was also really pleasantly surprised with how Washington's offense performed. Now, I know it's against Eastern Washington, but having a healthy Hunter Bryant and a healthy Chico McClatcher made the offense much more explosive. And they have a nice group of senior wideouts. They have Bryant. Uh, they have a, a new running back that emerged in Newton uh, yeah. who looks better than um, Ahmed. But I was really impressed with that offense, and I'm really, really looking forward to uh, Easton and company um, facing Cal uh, this upcoming weekend. And then I, I guess USC, I mean, <laughs> the, the Daniels injury is brutal, but it, it just felt like that they were making the same mistakes as 2018. And Fresno nearly came back. And so it just, it just feels like more of the same for that team as well. Jeff Tedford is the man. And you kind of hit on a couple things here. The first is you're right. Jacob Eason looked excellent and that offense looked like it had an extra kick to it above and beyond what they saw under Jake Browning. We'll see what happens when they play um, a really strong Cal defense this week. This is, that's one of the more interesting games I think in the country and uh, definitely off the radar for people that aren't following the Pac-12. One of the things that stood out for me was that um, I'm not sure if you guys have seen the movie The Wire, but basically the idea is, you know, the world keeps spinning and nothing changes. And with the exception of Washington, and and Jacob Jacob Eason over there, and, and the, with the exception of Oregon, and we'll get into that Oregon game. But I, I really liked what I saw out of that team. I know that they faded at the end, but my goodness, uh, just what they were able to do to Auburn at the beginning, and they obviously were harmed by a number of uh, issues at the very first half of that game where they could have won. Um, with all that said. Those two exceptions, it kind of seems like nothing has changed a ton in the Pac-12, right? Like you have uh, USC being USC again. Cal can't score, had to rely on defensive touchdowns. Um, Arizona's secondary looked awful. Uh, Utah didn't decide to throw the ball like outside of 16 times, basically, that game. I don't know, Rob, it, it just kind of looks like meet the new boss, same as the old boss in week two. It did, it did feel like a lot of the same narratives, uh, you know, out there. And I, like, I, I guess I would sort of, ca- I mean, caution, like teams change, you know, like teams aren't the same season, like, a, you know, uh, year to year, even though I think in our head, we often sort of categorize them that way. But I was, I think I was really impressed with, uh, like you hit on, like, I, w- I was actually really impressed with Oregon. Um, I would recommend fans, like, don't get overly excited about, how a team played against very, very bad competition versus how a team played um, versus very good competition, like just based on who won or lost, like, what matters is how you played the game. <laughs> that That's true. But I, I like in, in relation to Washington, I really liked the way Eason was gunning that ball and hitting, hitting, wide receivers in stride and just how that offense was moving stuff down the field. I I understand, but quarterback wasn't the problem last year. Their offensive line and the play calling was the problem. Like, so yes, like get excited. Um, I think Eason like showed some real arm talent, but like the proof will be in the pudding starting this week with Cal like on, and like, it's, I don't know. I tell people like, wait and see, right? Like week one, it's not, by the end of the season, like it's weighted heavily down in my model. And like, I don't even count the games against the FCS. <laughs> Max, you had mentioned Utah, which had a real impressive game on the road at BYU. And, and that defense looks like it's the truth again. Yeah, no, the, the defensive line definitely caused some havoc plays. 
Um, the, uh, the secondary actually did a, a nice job um, limiting Zach Wilson for the most part as well in that aerial attack. I, I, Zach Moss is just so good, though. I, I love watching him run. It seems like he broke every single first um, tackle attempt that BYU tried to, you know, get at him. Uh, he, he honestly could be like a top three running back in the country. I, I just think that he's absolutely fantastic. And I, I thought that it'd be a close game, and I'm glad I made the first half my best bet because BYU actually covered in the first half. But, yeah, Utah just completely pulled away in the second half, even though BYU actually outplayed them in the first half. But that's why a strong coaching staff will really do wonders. Um, but the other interesting thing is that Utah's special teams were kind of a mess. And, I, and obviously they were replacing two all Pac-12 first-team guys in Wisnowski and Gay, but I, I, just, I was shook by watching Utah kickers miss field goals and, and, and spotty special team play all around. Mm, Rob, Max is speaking your language, man. Special teams matter. Special teams do matter. They, matter. they don't matter as, as much as, I don't know, maybe people think. But, yeah, like they really matter. And, um, you know, if you have a reliable college kicker, kicker, like put that kid on scholarship. And we're just not used to it. I mean, for the, the Kyle Whittingham special, right, was uh, – you know, like win with defense and special teams. And, um, I was interested though. I mean, like it was a weird outing. I mean, they really, they had to clamp down and, um, in the second half on that BYU offense. Um, you know, they'd been giving up a little too much cushion. The defensive line hadn't really been getting their hands up and Wilson had been getting the ball out early. Uh, and then, uh, Huntley had an odd outing. I mean, 13 of 16, really accurate, <laughs> but hardly any yards. I mean, hardly any yards. I mean, like no downfield passing from Utah whatsoever. It was super bizarre, but they were able to put it together. And you had mentioned it too, Max, just Zach Moss. I was actually showing my daughters on Twitter. There was a, like the Utah football uh, Twitter account put out this slow motion video of Zach Moss just face planting a BYU defender with a stiff arm. And I'm just like, that is, that is why we watch football. This is so fun to, to watch him play. And um, I just think he's a complete back. So really uh, interested to see what BYU does uh, in the coming weeks. Although their game against NAU should be pretty mellow. One thing that stood out for me guys is at least for the first half, the, the Oregon state offense was like my spirit animal. I loved Jake Luton. I love the fact that they can move the ball we kind of knew that this game was going to be pretty high scoring game against an okay Oklahoma State defense but uh, I love the fact that Luton was throwing the ball down the field and uh, and not a lot of picks this game which was pretty exciting because hey, that's been a problem for him in the past what did you guys think of that Oregon State game go ahead Rob oh no I was just gonna say like it was interesting because like he, they came out hot and then they kind of got slowed down and then they really kind of picked it up again but there were there was definitely some good play calling. Like I, I, I'm excited for the offense. Like, but I don't know that the defense has made much progress. Oh no, no, God no! That was it was terrible. What were you going to say, Max? No, I, I was going to say more along the lines of the defense, but I'm not sure how much to because it's it's just tough to like really overreact because I think Oklahoma State might have well besides Jerry Judy. I mean, Talon Wallace is just he he is an unbelievable wide receiver and Chuba Hubbard definitely looked the part at running back. And, and I was in, impressed with their freshman quarterback Spencer as well. So I, I think Oklahoma state could have a top 10 offense this year. And I know Oregon state's defense looked bad, but I'm, I'm interested to see how they fare against Hawaii because Hawaii still has an explosive offense too, but I still think it's a considerable step down from Oklahoma state's. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah that's, that's very fair. And, and you're right. I'm glad you touched on that freshman quarterback. Man, he was impressive. Uh, he was just able to command the offense against, again, um, a very questionable Oregon State defense. We're going to keep an eye on that. It looked like in the end of that second half, the, the Oregon State defense just was gassed and had no depth and they're not very they weren't very good last year in the first place so i kind of want to put a little flag there on those second half uh, bets when we're talking about oregon state in the future especially with like prolific offenses rob anything else you, you were in cincinnati what stood out for you there how, how was that experience oh my gosh the the chip kelly offense is, a, is just a total disaster so don't undersell i mean i i think i think a lot of people nationally sort of were overselling UCLA losing that game. I mean, Cincinnati was favored uh, in the game. Cincinnati is quite a good team. This is, you know, Luke Fickle is not likely to be coaching at Cincinnati next year. Um, But it was, and and Max, you, you hit on this on, on two, like there's Cincinnati could have been up more in that game if they would have committed to throwing the ball. Um, They have a, they have a pretty good quarterback um, and they were getting, they were getting open um, because Darnay Holmes was out too for UCLA um, and they were getting open and they were especially UCLA was not doing a good job covering the flats and underneath. But um, if it weren't for basically two big plays, UCLA would not have had any offense. And Dorian Thompson Robinson uh, had just an atrocious completion percentage. Um, they really, really struck. I mean, you could say Joshua Kelly's out, but Felton was reasonably good in there. I don't know that what Kelly would have done otherwise. I mean, it just looks like a mess in Westwood. That was a beatdown, even though the score did yeah. indicate it. Like I, I, I just could not believe what the, the Cincinnati play calling. And then I, I know UCLA um, had well Dorian Thompson Roberts. Like he had that horrendous that first fumble where he was untouched and lost it and inside the five, and that kind of canceled out the Cincinnati interception uh, inside the five, like right before the half. Yeah, but I just yeah. still felt like a, a ton of other missed opportunities for Cincy. And and if it was because I actually thought that um, the fumble that UCLA ran back for a touch, I actually thought that was a fumble, and then there would have been a three point game, and I, I just don't know how that would have happened. But I think that there's going to be some major overreactions to UCLA this week. I mean, DTR looked awful, and there's and there's no um, way to sugarcoat that. But they were missing so many players. Like uh, they, they, like you said, like Joshua Kelly, that their star running back, Darnay Holmes, their best member of the secondary on the secondary that got shredded. Theo Howard, their top wide receiver, two offensive linemen that are starters and and two starting linebackers, and that that that's that's a lot of important production that was out. And so I think UCLA is actually a nice buy low candidate against San Diego State, and and that team looked dreadful against <laughs> Weber State in Week One. Six points, six to zero. Uh, San Diego State played Weber State. Now uh, we'll, we'll talk about that because I, I was doing some research into San Diego State. I actually think their defense could be uh, fairly solid. But well, one other thing, guys, that I wanted to try to highlight and and invite our listeners to participate in: if there's a player on your team that you think is solid and that we should cover. Um, and I tweeted this out on our uh, on our Twitter account, Twelve Pack Radio. But we also have a um, a Gmail account set up now, so the uh, email account is just Twelve Pack Radio One Two P A C Radio at Gmail If there's a player on your team, and, and I really I'm looking at you, Washington fans, and you Utah fans, because you're definitely the most vocal right now. But if there's somebody on your team that we you think we should be talking about, and I want to put an emphasis on the defensive side because we can get caught stat counting sometimes, and I just like you know sometimes a defensive tackle is going to 
eat up two, you know, two offensive linemen, that kind of stuff. So if, if we're looking over somebody, please let us know. Send them to us. We'll definitely talk about them on the podcast. And one, uh, one response we got back was from our friends at the Freeballing podcast. They wanted to talk about their new running back, Alex Fontenot. And Mac, uh, Max, you had talked about him last week when we were going through our fantasy football picks um, as him being somebody to keep a lookout for. And he had himself a heck of a game, 19 carries, 123 yards, three touchdowns. I think he averaged about 6.6 yards a carry. Uh, really had himself a heck of a game. Yeah, Fontenot and, and then Jared Bankham, their true freshman running back, were the two I was keeping an eye on. Granted, I, I don't know how much I should read into this because it was against the Colorado State defense. That was pitiful. <laughs> Very fair. But <laughs> um, definitely the main takeaway is that, I mean, their new offensive coordinator, Jay Johnson, like he he was not lying when he said that Colorado wants to, like you know, like just absolutely pound it on the ground because they, they ran it 40 times only threw it 20 times and, and uh, Chenault, he only had five targets and, and three carries. And, and I just thought that wasn't enough that those, I mean, that was, that was a low number of touches there. So, and then I also thought that Colorado's defense was really slow. Like I, yes. I, I just, I, I couldn't believe that Colorado state w- was, you know, moving down the field at will for a lot of the game. And uh, they, they averaged eight yards a pass. And I think that game was closer than the score indicated. I mean, Colorado had a late defensive touchdown when, when the game was already out of hand. And I, so I think that they won by 21, but I, I mean, like people were, were gushing over Mel Tucker's debut. I really wasn't that impressed with Colorado, if I'm being honest, but I, the running game was encouraging for against Colorado state, but I, I just don't know how, how much I should read into that. What do you think about Tucker's debut? Uh, Rob? Max is right. They were bad. The uh, Colorado State receivers were running open a lot of the time. Um, you know, they didn't always get good pressure on Colorado State's quarterback. Uh, no, that was not. I mean, Mike Bobo, Colorado State's coach, is a is a good offensive mind. He was the offensive coordinator at Georgia for a long time. But um, I'm just I I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I I don't think that they're. I don't think that the that Colorado team that we saw is would win a lot of games in the Pac-12. Um, try that committed to running the ball, <laughs> and, and with that kind of defensive, you know, performance. Yeah. Well, let's, I mean, I guess we're kind of burying the lead and that's the fact that JT Daniels out for the season with an ACL tear. We just saw that break a few hours ago and, you know, Max, you were covering, I think we were all watching the USC game, but you were a USC alum. You covered them uh, before you joined sports illustrated. What, what do you think, man? I mean, like, yikes. Now, now they're starting another true freshman who, uh, although had some good news in regards to the coaching staff, giving him some buzz out of camp, um, was able to take the position from Jack Sears and Matt Fink. But what does that situation look like right now? How are you feeling? I mean, I, I was not optimistic about watching him live in game action. And, and I mean, I don't cover USC football anymore because I'm in New York, but I, I, I read the beat reporters a lot. And they were saying about Slovis is that he really shined in practice, but when it was scrimmages, that's what, where he struggled the most. And he did have one really nice deep ball throw to Tyler Bonds, which was his big highlight. But USC only scored seven offensive points in the second half against Fresno State. Like they, they had the, the Velas Jones return touchdown, but it was just one offensive drive. And I, <laughs> I think that they're going to have to incorporate the run game a lot more. I, I don't, I don't really know how much you can trust Slovis, but yeah, the offense definitely did not have the same level of, of explosiveness with him under center compared to Daniels. 
Anything to add to that, Rob? No, I mean I think that's right. And they're they're that offense. You know, it it looked pretty. They look pretty good running the football. I think um, comparatively. So there's that. But um, yeah, they they look discombobulated with uh, Slovis in there. And I I I think that I don't know that Stanford's defense is great but they're they're good enough and they've got power five talent so this week could be a challenge yeah and shout out to our friend alicia deartola who's been on the veve malpei train for two years now and it looks like he uh he really had himself a good game and um, i'm excited to see whether or not he and stephen carr can get that ground game going against stanford like you mentioned rob hey let's talk about our contests and we have a new contest to talk about and then get into our picks for week two right after this all right, we're back. It's contest time. So, you know, there can be other other shows that that take the fun, the fun that was started at this podcast. And that's fine. That's fine. We want to spread we want to spread the joy and the news. But we have returned our third annual Pac-12 Eliminator Pool. And congratulations to everybody that participated in the Pac-12 Eliminator Pool. We had about 50 entries and every single person advanced. Like I don't think that's ever happened before. Usually somebody at least forgets to turn in their pick or something, but everybody advances. So uh, definitely send in your week two picks. You can do it two ways. You can exclusively go to our website, sharpcollegefootball.com and there's an icon on that website on the front page where you can submit your picks or you can tweet them to us so you can follow us at 12 pack radio one two pac radio so congratulations to everybody for joining um and moving on to week two i'm sure there's going to be a couple eliminations uh next next week and i'm quite quite excited to read them on the air uh, and again if you don't want me to read your name uh, definitely give me a pseudo name and i'll make sure to do that for you the second thing i wanted to introduce is we're going to do a, a contest that we had launched at wildcat radio that was really popular we're calling it run the gauntlet and basically each week max rob and i are going to give our picks against the spread and what we want you to do is to challenge us we want you to submit your picks against the spread and specifically call out one of the hosts um and we'll go head to head and if you beat all three hosts um week after week after week you gotta you gotta do it three times in a row so you can let's say you, you beat max you, you it's kind of like the american gladiators right you go on to storm so you go on to you go on to rob you beat rob you go on to me um and if you win all three uh you'll win a prize and i'll figure out what prize that is but it'll be really easy to submit your picks we did this last year where i just i just put them right on the page all you have to do is click the buttons and and you're in so looking forward to doing that that was a lot of fun and it's cool that cool for us because we get to know our listeners a little bit more um and uh, and we'll definitely start reading the results on this podcast so with that said hey um can i get some pac-12 gambling advice up in here is william shatner Actual gambling lines? You got it. Nice. You want it? Baby. Just bust a move. Okay. And let's start with Stanford USC. Saturday, 7.30 p.m. on ESPN. Um, the Cardinal go on the road to USC in the Coliseum. And we had just touched on the, the big matchup, which should be interesting, which is Stanford's uh, run defense against USC's run offense, because it seems like that's going to be where the game is decided. Um, I, uh, I'm a sucker for punishment. I really love the cheese it bowl. So I watched the entire <laughs> Stanford Northwestern game uh, and had a few cocktails while I was doing it. Cause there was nothing else to do. There's like no movement in that ball, but Max, I'm just curious to see which you think about the well actually let's go to you rob first and let's check out beta ranks uh, projections on here what do you got so beta rank right now 
so I'll warn you all, does not know that JT Daniels has been injured. <laughs> so, um, like, take that into account. Um, Bader Rank has uh, USC is about a five-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. Um, Bader Rank liked the Trojans just be coming into the season simply because of all the talent they have on their roster. Um, the Trojans have about a 65, 60, almost 66% you know, win probability in this game. I would downgrade that. I mean, I think there is some question about KJ Costello who got knocked out late in that uh, Northwestern game. That was a nasty um, hit. That, that was a nasty hit. Um, that said, I mean, you would, you might feel better. I mean, Costello has been there a while. They've got some guys that have been there a while behind him. They're not going to start a two freshman. USC is going to start a two freshman. So I would throw beta rank out the window actually on this game. <laughs> um yeah, it's 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 not it's not one I think that the the model's got a good feel for. Max, I'm curious what you thought about USC's defense because um, you know over and over and over again, Rod Gilmore was saying that the weakness of USC was their secondary, and in theory, on paper, that's the case. But they have a lot of talent and a lot of unproven talent, uh, but definitely some athletes back there that can that can keep up with wide receivers from the opposing team, and they may have to. I, I'm just. It, clearly, Stanford doesn't have a run game this year. I really don't like any of their their running backs. Um, how do you think USC's defense is going to handle Stanford? It, it depends whether or not Costello is going to play, or if they decide to go with uh, Mims, their backup, if Costello is injured. And then also, I, Walker Little's injury looked really bad, and, and if he's out, that completely changes the dynamic of Stanford's offensive line. Uh, USC definitely gave up quite, uh, a few big plays. And I, I, the strength of this defense is definitely the defensive line. I think that that is the second best defensive line in the conference behind Utah. They have a really strong starting four. And I think true freshman Drake Jackson has, a, he, he, along with like Thibodeau, th- those are like the elite uh, freshman uh, defenders in the conference. Like I, I was really impressed with him in week one. Um, but yeah, no, this, I, the secondary is inexperienced, but Stanford's offense, it, it's, it's a shell of it. It was a shell of itself when Costello was out and they, and they had Mims um, taking the snaps and I was the wide receivers. At least when Costello was playing, I, I thought that they did that. Um, they exceed my expectation. At least like Michael Wilson looked legit. Uh, Connor Weddington, I thought looked good. Um, and, and Kobe Parkinson, he probably would have been a matchup nightmare for USC, but if Costello and, and Walker little are out, I think it's going to be really tough for Stanford to score, but I mean, USC is, they're going to give up a couple big plays, but I just don't see Stanford having a a high success rate in that game. If both Costello and Little are out. Yeah. The Stanford Northwestern game, Northwestern had 210 total yards. I I think the bigger story though is, is uh, Cameron Scarlett averaged about four and a half yards a carry. He was 22 for 94. Dorian Maddox, four yards a carry. Granted, the front seven for Northwestern, pretty good. But uh, I, I just, I think you're right, Max. I think the big plays are going to be through the air, and it's just whether or not Mills um, is going to be able to hit him, or again, if Costello is able to come back. But I think he was clearly concussed. And that, that targeting hit, I mean, he was already on the ground. The Northwestern guy just hits him right in the head with his elbow, and you just saw that he, he was gone. Um, there's no line on this game right now. Did anybody, Rob, did you get to see any of the Stanford uh, Northwestern game? Was there anything that stood out in particular besides Casey to Hill being a bad, bad man? <laughs> I mean, I would say like, if you're, if you're going to try to evaluate these teams in some ways, they both 
played sort of mirror image teams last last week. Fresno State and Northwestern were both defense first teams um, and had pretty bad offenses last season. Take take the defensive performances you saw from USC and from Stanford with a little bit of a grain of salt because they were not going against some of the better offenses that you're likely to see here. So. The, I, I'm, I'm, I think that clearly USC has more talent, um, but it often felt like in that game, though, in that USC game, that Pendergast, some of his pressure just wasn't getting home. And that's been sort of a constant problem for them. Um, and then in the Stanford game, I mean, I just felt like Northwestern was just shooting themselves in the foot, just repeatedly. I mean, they were just utterly offensive. Like, you could, at least with Fresno State, they were occasionally lively. Like, <laughs> Northwestern was <laughs> utterly offensively inept. Um, almost the whole game, and I, I'd almost put a lot of that on Northwestern. So um, it, this 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 could be a this could be a this game could be kind of tough to watch at times. I think uh, depending on the quarterback situation. Yeah, if if there wasn't a JT Daniels injury, I would have taken USC. Even if I was giving up a decent amount of points, I just was not impressed with Stanford yeah. uh, in that game at all. Um, uh, particularly on uh, again in the running game, but also like I just. I don't know. I just it just was really really flat. And like you mentioned, Max, the Walker Little injury. Anything else we should keep our eye on? I mean, I guess the under would be like a very obvious. Although I'm sure Vegas is on this one too, right? No. So I mean, that's what I was going. I I would. I don't. I don't have a great read on either side, especially if um, we. We. I mean, we still don't know whether Castell is going to play, but I, I, that 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 in, that concussion looked nasty. So I would not be surprised if he doesn't play, but. I I think the under is absolutely the play in this game if both him and Daniels are out. Um, I'd probably have the total around forty four and a half if that's the case, and and especially little. I mean, little being out won't affect the total, but I just think that that's another um, advantage for USC's defensive line. And I just think it's going to be a lot of running the ball, and then also you have ultra conservative David Shaw. And I mean, when he punts the ball from the opponent's thirty-seven, that's an under dream right there. <laughs> and, and and then Helton, and then Helton, um, he got a lot of backlash for going for it on fourth and one late in the game against Fresno. I actually thought it was the right decision to go for it, but it was right I mean, and but I just think that the fact that it was just a mishandled snap and everything that went wrong went wrong might cause Helton the second guess going for it in a similar situation in this game. So I think he could be conservative, especially having another true freshman quarterback under center like last year. So I'm, I, I this total to me, it should be in the low forties. If it's in the mid or high forties, or, or if for some reason it's it's in the low fifties, I, I think that you have to hammer the under in this game. Oh shoot! I think they've scored like sixteen total points last year, and that was with JT Daniels and, and Costello <laughs> in that game. So, <laughs> hey, one last thing to mention in this game: the very first play of the game, right? It's, it's kickoff. USC's going nuts. Everybody's excited. There's a big special teams play. The USC has the momentum, and lo and behold, USC has two players with the same number on <laughs> the field. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Can there be any like more perfect example of Clay Helton's tenure here at USC? I just wanted to give you a moment, Max, if you want, if you so choose <laughs> to talk about that. I mean, I'll, I'll even one up you because I, I thought Helton did something later in the game that was unbelievably inexcusable and, and I couldn't believe it. So USC had the ball and they were trying to run out the clock against Fresno state. And there was, 16 seconds left on the play clock on, on third down and the clock was running and Clay Helton called a timeout with 16 seconds left on the play clock instead of waiting 
for it to go all the way down to one up eight late in the fourth quarter. And I, I just, I, I couldn't believe it. Could not believe that one. <laughs> I, I look forward to the rest of this USC season. I think it could be a lot of schadenfreude for a lot of people. Um, hey, let, let's move on. The, the next game is another interconference game. So it's Cal goes on the road to Washington. Um, Cal won last year when Washington went. That was just an atrocious game for Washington's offense. And Washington now is a 12 and a half point favorite in Seattle against Cal. Cal had some challenges against UC Davis. They had to rely on like two defensive touchdowns and it was just a real, real slog against a a woeful USC team. And, um, and meanwhile, Washington just stomped all over Eastern Washington. Rob, uh, I'm curious to see what your numbers say in this. I guess there isn't a lot of movement just because th- these were two FCS teams that they played. Well, I do in the first week. Um, I do. I do leave the FCS games in there just so I have something <laughs> okay. to, to rate on. Um, but I don't like your in-game data at this point is barely 20% and it's mostly of your, your preseason projection. Um, but Washington comes into this game as, uh, almost a nine point favorite, um, 8.74. Um, they've got a 76% win probability. So beta rank really does like the Huskies. I mean, that, that, that puts Cal in the, in the neighborhood of where like a, a team with normal offensive efficiency would have to generate, you know, two turnovers to win. One thing, Max, that stood out for me was I think the score in the beginning of the Cal UC Davis game was a bit misleading. There was a turnover by Ashton Davis on like in the red zone on a special teams play. Um, UC Davis immediately scores. Then they go back and score a field goal. So it's 10, nothing. And everybody's flipping out about, uh, about Cal, but still some, some offensive challenges there. I do want to give a shout out to their defense. They did a really good job holding UC Davis to 264 yards um, and, and causing no touchdowns aside from that fumble. Um, so they were kind of put in a bad position in the beginning but really stepped up and it's just a real i think this is one of the most fascinating matchups in week two no i i, I agree and even though as, as good as washington looked in week one and as close as the box score was for cal in week one i'm gonna go with my preseason gut i i, I think washington's gonna be a little um overvalued in this spot just based on how they looked against eastern washington and i, I don't i'm like i you said the line was 11 and a half. Uh, I 12, 12 I and a half, but I think that's going to rise, right? 12 and a half. Yes. I mean, I would, I would take Cal at, at 10 and a half or higher. I think I, I, I just think it's, I, I'm of the mindset that's going to be a low scoring game. Um, and so anytime I can get a, a double digit dog in a low scoring game, I, I think it's definitely a plus. Um, and I don't, I'm just, Cal's secondary really is the best in the country. And while Washington, I, I think Hunter Bryant's probably the X factor here. I, I, I'm not sure if Cal really has anyone that can cover him, but I think that they can shut down those, that senior trio of wideouts um, that Washington has. And then also, I mean, Cal's running back, uh, Christopher Brown, he emerged uh, against UC Davis and, and Davis ha- has a pretty good defense. So and at least, and at least at quarterback, it's Garbers instead of who I like to uh, consider the college football version of Nathan Peterman, Brandon McIlwain, who, who's now <laughs> no longer at quarterback. But I just, I think that's going to be a close. I think it's going to be a low scoring game. I could see like maybe a twenty four fourteen type of game there, and and I, even though week one. Um, might have let might lead you to think differently. I'm going with the preseason with my preseason reads here. 
just because I, I, there's only so much you can take with a, a against an FCS opponent. I hear you, Max. The one thing is Chase Garbers did not look great in that Cal game. He had an interception. Um, there was there was another touchdown that was credited to him that was tipped off of the defensive player's hands. Like he clearly underthrew the ball, and, and lo and behold, it just pops into uh, one of the Cal wide receivers' hands. Um, I'm I'm just a. Uh, I, I'm so worried about taking him on the road against anybody. And I just don't think that this, this offense, I think it's going to be the same old, same old from them. Um, I'm just curious what you think here, Rob. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think I like Washington at almost two touchdowns in this game because I've just, I'm still not sold on. Um, and, and Ty Jones is out. That's you know, true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for this Washington team. I'm just not so I'm not sold on that. They've, really i mean i need to see them against fbs level competition to believe that they've solved um you know the offensive line woes um that they had and i and that that hamdan can really you know deserves his job as an offensive coordinator at this level so he's gonna he's gonna get a shot i mean uh you know the deroiter and uh um Wilcox are two of the best in the business right now, and they've got they've got that Cal defense humming. So I, I'm excited. I, I, and I think uh, you know the the chance to see Evan Weaver and that really disciplined Cal defense in there, and that secondary behind them. Um, they're they're they don't give up big plays. They make you go the entire length of the field, and um, they really grind you down. And uh, I uh, yeah, I mean I like Washington to win because even with everything they're replacing on defense. I think they're going to shut down this Cal offense. Like you, like you mentioned, Garber's kind of stunk it up a little bit, you know, like for, for the level of competition he was against, I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball that effectively against this Washington defense. So it's, I like Washington to win. I don't necessarily like him to cover at that many points. The under might be another good and, one here. Oh, go ahead, Max. Uh, I was going to say, admittedly that like, if there was an ideal time to play this Washington defense that has to replace so many starters, especially in the secondary, it would be early in the season. Oh yeah. Not, not, not that I'm too optimistic about how Garbers will fare, but I, I think that I'm definitely more optimistic about him facing Washington now than if it were later in the season. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's, that's a good point. I, I think the under would be interesting. I just think this is going to be one of those boa constrictor games where Washington slowly scores and just wraps itself around Cal and, and Cal just can't move. I'm going to, oh God, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm going to take, I'm going to lay the points. I'm going to take Washington. I think at home, I don't trust Chase Garbers on the road. Um, I think that, I don't think Washington's going to blow out Cal, but I think they're going to score enough points over the course of the game where they're going to slowly uh, kind of get away from them and be able to bring it home. How many points do you think uh, Max Cal scores in this game? No, like, I, like if I had to go with a score prediction now, I'll go with the one that I, I um, that I said earlier, what twenty four fourteen. Okay, yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. Uh, all right, let's move on. So we have Saturday at four thirty on the Pac twelve Network, Nevada. Nevada given their their awesome kicker, fifty six yard walk off kick uh, to beat Purdue, uh, gets the scholarship. Coming off with a lot of momentum, although this could be a, a giant uh, rude awakening to go on the road to Autzen. Uh, oh my goodness, there's so much to cover in this game. Just because I thought that Oregon. Auburn game was so fun to watch. I really loved it. I loved a lot of the stuff that happened with uh, uh, with Oregon's defense, like you mentioned at the beginning of the, the game and the, in the first half. I'm just curious, Rob, what you thought about that Auburn-Oregon uh, game? 
I was I was impressed by the Ducks. We and, and Max hit on it earlier. I mean, I thought the defense played a really solid game, um, and that they they kept Nick's on his heels enough um, to make him look like a true freshman most of the night. And I think, given some of the talent he has around him and his own sort of uh, innate talent, that was not necessarily an easy thing to do. Um, and then Herbert had a good. I mean, Herbert had a really good game. He did. I mean, the, the complaints about Herbert that I've had over time is that he can struggle with reading, you know, the post snap adjustments that the defense makes, and sometimes he, you know his accuracy can be an issue. But he didn't even have his A game. Oregon wide receivers out there. You know, there was somebody that had been breaking down the tape and said that you know that there were really only two open throws that he had all night, you know, and, and Herbert completed, you know, a good chunk of his passes. I mean, he had a good game. Um, I think that I, but in that game, I would also say like Mario Cristobal reminds me in some ways of like Jim Mora in trying to, like he's more obsessed with obsessed, obsessed with establishing an offensive identity than like putting points on the board. Like, he wants to, he want like, it's more important to him to establish the run than it is to score points. <laughs> um, and I think that, I think that they got fairly, like they got a little predictable at the end and that hurt them. Yeah. I want to just highlight Justin Herbert. So 28 to 37, some of those, like you mentioned, Rob, just ropes, I mean, frozen ropes right to where they yeah. needed to. I really liked what I saw out of him uh, in uh, commanding that offense. But Max, uh, what did you think about that game? So no, no, like you guys, I, Oregon was, I, I think the better team overall. I, I just think that the defense was gassed and Oregon's coaching staff kind of let them down. Like, I, like I wouldn't blame the players for this loss. Um, Rob, like, like you just touched upon, I, I thought Arroyo's play calling got predictable toward the end. Uh, Chris, the ball calling back to back timeouts. <laughs> it just didn't seem, it seemed like he forgot the rule that like, you can't sub a player in after a timeout it has to be a full play. But I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but I, I just think that I, Oregon's defense got tired, and, and that's what lost in the game. So I, I was just looking at the drive charts, and Oregon had double-digit play drives on, uh, on their first two. And then after that, 10 of their final 12 drives were five plays or fewer. So Oregon's defense was on the field a lot of the game after those two drives, and, and, it, and it caught up to them. But it's it just... Oregon had so many, they had plays that could have knocked them out. Like if Addison didn't drop that touchdown, um, the fumble, fumble uh, in the red the zone, end, that, yeah. Eerily, that, yeah, that eerily reminded me of the Oregon Stanford game last year where it all starts to unravel for the ducks. Um, and then also the fourth down where actually Auburn's defensive line just crushed Oregon's yeah. offense. Like that play didn't have it. That play didn't have a chance at all. Um, and then Nick's, um, with that final drive, but Nick's for most of the game looked like a, a like a chicken running around with with its head cut off. Like I, I wasn't really impressed with him, but he's going to get you know he, he's going to get the accolades because of, of the final drive. Um, but uh, but I, I thought Win, uh, Booby Winslow he was really impressive to me. And Auburn's offensive line um, they they uh, definitely started to take over in the second half. But no, I, I was I was impressed with Oregon. Uh, but the two big questions, well, three big questions going forward, wide receivers, because th- they definitely struggled to get separation against Auburn. And that's why I think Herbert attempted so few deep shots. It's because his receivers weren't open. Uh, and then the drops were still an issue, especially the Addison drop touchdown. Second is the kicking game. I mean, you can't miss a 19 yard field goal. <laughs> oh my God, I forgot about that. Hashtag college kickers. <laughs> 
Um, and, 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 and that was a position that, that had question marks coming into the season. And then third is it's the coaching staff in general. Uh, I mean, admittedly, Avalos, I, I thought had a really nice defensive game plan. I mean, he made Knicks look like a, a true freshman, uh, throughout most of the game, but I really don't trust crystal ball or Arroyo at all, but I really like a lot of parts of this ducks team. Um, and I like their secondary too. I, I just thought their corners did a pretty good job. Now we had had Hifliday on this podcast, who is probably the premier expert on Oregon football. Um, and he did a, he had highlighted how the wide receivers were fine, but they weren't great with that said, I just liked the way that the secondary was able to particularly the corners, how they were able to, to bat, you know, bat down plays and, and, uh, just get, get in the face of those wide receivers. And I think there's a lot of, upside if you're an Oregon fan um you know it was interesting watching on Twitter <laughs> kind of the meltdown and I get it on the offensive side but there was enough talent and Oregon looked like they belonged in that game and they came to play and they were ready to play and I just um I'm more optimistic about them even after this loss in the Pac-12 than I was beforehand and but they have an interesting team that they're playing here. They have Nevada at home. Nevada again had just beat Purdue. This is a team that has Jeff Castile, who may not be a great recruiter, but a really good defensive coordinator. He runs that three, three, five. And I, I was uh, <laughs> just taking a look at their numbers. Rob, you had follow, you follow the mountain West anyway. Um, tell us a little bit about this, this Nevada team. So this Nevada team is, they're interesting because last season they were very good on defense. Um, you know, they were, they finished in the top 40 in defense, which isn't easy to do in my model if you're a, uh, a group of five team. Um, but they come in, they're, um, they, they, like they, they turned Purdue over five times in that game, which is enough. I mean, Jeff Castile's defense basically um, kept them in the game um, because their offense wasn't humming very, you know, a lot early on, but Castile's a good play caller. I mean, he's, we, we had, we, we saw it when he was at Arizona. Um, he has interesting blitz packages. Um, I mean, really solid X and O's guy. Uh, and he's going to be prepared for this game. That's not to say like, I mean, this should feel, this should feel like a relief compared to playing Auburn's defensive line <laughs> for Oregon. Um, but it's not like, it's not necessarily a super easy outing. Um, and so the model right now has it at uh, 17 and a half uh, Oregon's favored by with a 89.5. So roughly 90% win probability. Um, Nevada's offense isn't great. No. Um, yeah. And they, they really did. I mean, they're, so their kicker obviously like drilled one off of a turnover, but their offense isn't great. And they're they're This, this Oregon defense should have a, a, a pretty also should also feel a little more you know, a little relief after the, after the last game. But if the ducks, if the ducks, uh, turn the ball over, they could make it interesting. And Castile's defenses can be opportunistic. Yeah. A couple of players to keep a lookout for defensive end. Don Peterson had 10 tackles for a loss. He's a true freshman. He's a defensive end. He's number 99. They also have a really good corner, number 25 and a kid named Daniel Brown. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how open these wide receivers will get against a, uh, a defensive scheme that can be confusing. <laughs> so it'll be, uh, I'm going to keep my eye on that. Max, do you have any feel on this game? I think 23 and a half points is a lot. I, I know that this could be a letdown game for Nevada coming off a high, but uh, there's some talent on this team. No, I, and I, I think 23 and a half is a lot. And I think that this is a, a Jay Norvell is a good coach, but this is, I don't know how I can go any, I, I feel like I have to go Oregon just based on the, on the, on the spots. Like you have Nevada coming off or Nevada coming off a historic comeback win where their true freshman kicker drills a 56 yarder 
and and I know that Oregon is is, is their biggest opponent of the season, but they they just upset uh, a Power Five opponent in front of their home fans in historic fashion. They're obviously elated, and then Oregon, meanwhile, they um, they snatched. Basically, they snatched defeat in the jaws of victory. I mean, they should have won that game. They were the better team. And Rob hit on Rob hit on it um, with the five turnover differential for Nevada, and they and they only won by three. And I mean, a, a couple of, like a couple of those were Rondell Moore punt return fumbles, and and I think that that really helped out uh, the Wolfpack's offense. And I mean, Carson Strong was, I think, okay. But I mean, overall, I mean, Purdue outgained them in terms of yards per play by uh, nearly a yard and a half. So I feel like I have, like, I have to go Oregon in this spot, even though I do think the line is too high. But it's, I just feel like Herbert. He's a, I, I, he, even though he played well at, at Jerry World, I, I still think that he's a much better quarterback at Austin. And I, I just think that Oregon is dying to make a statement. And I think that this is a team that's underrated after, you know, uh, the national audience just watched them choke and implode. Um, but I actually think the more interesting play, because I don't feel great about taking Oregon in the points. I think the under is actually the better play because I think Oregon's defense and Avalos is really impressive. Um, I think Oregon's going to run the ball a lot. And I, I don't really trust Carson. I, I, I just don't see how Nevada score or Nevada, I, how they score a lot um, unless there's turnovers. And I think that Oregon is, is more careful than Purdue was, um, even though Purdue really moved the ball. But I, don't, I, I just I, I like the under 63 there. Okay, that, that's a good thing to keep in mind. I'm gonna I'm gonna take those points. I just think that they're a lot. And I man, I would be awesome if Oregon just comes out and stomps on Nevada. I mean, there'd just be a big, big statement and some momentum going into the rest of the season. So, uh, but give me give me or, or uh, give me Nevada, um, Rob. Are you who are you taking? I'm going to take Nevada. Oregon underperformed it a lot of last season um, offensively in their non-conference against sort of weaker opponents, and I'm going to I'm going to ride that again here. And I, I, I think the model's got it about right. I think this is going to be closer to 17, 18 points. Yeah, but I but I like that call on the under max. That's a good call. This next game, I am so excited to talk about. But let's get to it right after this. All right, we're back with the fun game. Funny, fun, fun, fun. Oregon State on the road at Hawaii. And I haven't seen this over yet, the over-under on this, but it's probably like 1,700 points. <laughs> like, really, really excited to see what, what Oregon State can do at Hawaii. And this game's going to be live at 9 p.m. West Coast time on Facebook, guys. This is going to be free for everybody. Max, what do you think? I think that the Beavers can win this game outright. Um, like, like I was saying earlier in the podcast, I just think Oklahoma state's offense is a completely different beast. And while Cole McDonald did shred Arizona's, uh, secondary, he also turned it over quite a bit. And I, and I'm, and I'm pretty sure he's going to be the starter in week two. Um, but I just, I don't think Arizona really took advantage of Hawaii's poor run defense. And I, and I think Oregon state will with, um, Jefferson and Pierce. And also, I really and Isaiah Hodgkins, he's a, he's a legitimate wideout. Like yeah. he's really impressive. And if they, if they need to resort to the pass game at all, um, and then the, and then yeah, I, I, the defense will definitely give up points. But do I think that they'll be giving points up at an Oklahoma State rate? I don't think so. Oregon State actually forced Oklahoma State into quite a few third downs in that game, but Oklahoma State just seemed like automatic on third down. I don't know if that's going to be the same case for Hawaii. Um, but 
Yeah, no, I, I think the Beavers can win outright. And I was, I was like, you wouldn't have guessed that the line was only three based on the week one results. Um, I, I, I think Vegas is of a similar mindset. So you have it at three. So oh, that's what I wow. thought. At. Okay. It probably dropped. Let's go with three. Um, cause it, I, I pulled these lines really, really early and just a highlight. So Oklahoma state 555 yards on offense, 352 of them on the ground, including four touchdowns. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about, Oregon State secondary being bad in the entire defense, but really last year, the big, big problem was that run defense. And as good as Oklahoma State uh, is at moving the ball, I mean, uh, I just that a run defense, I, I tend to think of Oklahoma State more as like a, an aired out, like kind of fun offense. But that really concerned me that they were able to move the ball that quickly on the ground. Now, one of the things that uh, that Hawaii doesn't do is really run the football a ton, Rob. So I'm curious to see what your numbers say on the game. So the model still has this actually as a true toss-up. You know, there's the, it's 50-50 in the win probability. You know, zero on the zero on the point spread. Um, I like Oregon State in this game, however, because I don't think Hawaii is going to sneak up on like Arizona. This isn't week one. You know, everybody's had a chance to work their kinks out. Um, I think Arizona played a really bad game against Hawaii, and Hawaii played a very good game against Arizona. Um, I think Oregon State's talent level is too good. I think they're going to be able to run the football quite well in this game. Um, and I, I like Hodgkins. I, I think they're going to. Uh, I think they're going to score. Okay. The one thing I want to see with Luton: fifty-four percent completion rate. He really needs to clean that up a little bit more. I, I like the fact that he wasn't throwing picks like he normally does. So, uh, man, that offense is just so fun for Oklahoma State or uh, Oregon State. I'm going to take Hawaii. I think that they, they get it done. They're good at home. This is another Pac-12 team that they're going to get up for, and I just think they're going to be able to score some points. Um, but but it is kind of a strength on not as much of a weakness in regards to the secondary. Look, Oregon State secondary is terrible, but at least Hawaii isn't going to be running down the throat of this uh, Oregon State team. But I, I still, I'll, get to, I'll take them at home. That's a long, a long road trip and a team that I don't completely trust. So give me Hawaii. Uh, let's move on to another interesting game. Saturday, 1230 p.m. on Fox, Nebraska on the road at Colorado. Colorado is a four and a half point dog at home. Rough start for Colorado in that game against Colorado State. I thought their secondary got torched a lot. Um, they were really trying to figure out what their offense was. But over time, they really wore down that that Colorado State defense. And uh, I, I just... I don't know, man. Nebraska, <laughs> Nebraska didn't have that great of a game either. Um, they needed two defensive touchdowns and a special teams touchdown to beat Southern Alabama, which led, by the way, 14-7 at halftime. And South, uh, South Alabama had four turnovers in that game. So, uh, Rob, Rob, let's go with you first because the model has a little bit more information on both these teams over time, too. So what is it, what is it looking at with this matchup? So it's compressed a bit. Um versus what it was. So Colorado has, has come up a little bit in the model um, with last week's performance. Um, Nebraska has fallen a little bit with last week's performance. So um, right now it's looking at uh, Nebraska is just a, Nebraska is only a, uh, a one and a half point favorite in the model. Um, and they have roughly a 55% win probability coming into this game. So that's, if, if you looked at this, um, in the original preseason projection, uh, Nebraska was a bit more of a favorite. I think they were closer to five points at that point. So 
it has uh, it has come down. I it is tough though because um, I guess I still have. If there's one thing I think Scott Frost could definitely coach and will figure out, it's you know that offense with uh, Martinez running the show. So maybe it was just a bad game. Though the two other points to point out with the Colorado game was so Stephen Montez didn't have his stat sheet wasn't crazy you know 232 yards two touchdowns i love the fact that that he averaged about 11 and a half yards through per throw <laughs> so they were getting some getting some good yardage while he was slinging the ball down the field and then onu that transfers from uh i think it was southern methodist university SMU, yeah. yeah he was really like if, if you have a team that isn't dipping into the transfer pool shame on your coach because we just torched their secondary but he looked pretty good two interceptions and one of them he just kind of came out of nowhere and snug it off so um, I do like him. I actually, I'm going to take Colorado at home. I just, Nebraska's defense isn't great. Um, I, I tend to trust, um, trust a team that's led by a defensive coach. That's really proven it in the past. So, uh, but I'm curious, Max, what do you think about this? Uh, what do you think Nebraska's chances coming on the road? Uh, and by the way, that Folsom field is going to be fired up. No, I think it's interesting that the line's already down to four and a half because it definitely opened higher than that. Yeah, it was like seven um, or something. It was crazy. Yeah, but and and I know Nebraska struggled. I just think that that Colorado box score was so misleading, and I'm 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 really down on the bus. Um, I think Adrian Martinez, like after Hill just torched Colorado, I think Adrian Martinez can drop like sixty on that. Like I I am what like, I was just so unimpressed by Colorado. They looked slow against Colorado State, and I. I really think like between Scott Frost and Adrian Martinez, that they can really do cook up something special uh, in Boulder and Nebraska, obviously that they lost a tight one to Colorado last year. So they'll be thinking revenge factor in this rivalry game. Um, and then all, I, I just think if Colorado on offense, like if they gave it to their best players as, as good as Fontenot look, like if they gave it to Chenault, I think their offense would be much more effective. And I think that they'll probably realize that as the game goes on, if they do like fall behind early because they're too conservative. So that's probably what's stopping me from taking the over as well. But if Colorado's down in uh, at halftime, then I think I'd have to go second half over if they air it out more, because I think Nebraska's front or back seven, it's trouble. But if Colorado runs it early and often, I think that Nebraska blows them out. If I'm being honest. Ooh, okay. Beware of the road dogs, but that makes a lot of sense. They, that defense would look pretty slow. Um, the one thing to keep in mind though, is I wasn't super impressed with Nebraska's wide receiving core. Um, and probably because, you know, Oregon state raided that entire team <laughs> during the coaching change. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if they'll be able to move it. And certainly Adrian Martinez had a lot of Heisman buzz coming into uh, the season last year. He, I mean, his numbers were pretty good, right? 2,600 yards, 600 yards on the ground, uh, about 23 total touchdowns. But um, I don't know. I just said, uh, I think I think that that stadium, that team's going to be fired up. Um, I think I trust the team enough to be able to take care of business. And they did win on the road last year. So um, I'll take Colorado, but really interested to watch that game. Um, the next one, Saturday, 115 on Pac-12 Network, UCLA, six and a half point favorite at home against San Diego State. Really, that we talked about the Cincinnati UCLA team, but oh my gosh, Doran Thompson Robinson, eight for 26 guys, two touchdowns, two interceptions, and a just terrible, terrible fumble. Rob, let's throw it to you first. Two terrible fumbles. Oh, was it two? Oh, no. It was two. He had two Vaseline two. balls. Yeah. Oh, my um, where the ball, no one hit him. No one hit the ball or his hand. He just, the ball just slipped right out. Um, no, there's no. 
I, I mean, I drove down to Cincinnati. There's and 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 Max, would t- you know, hit on this like it was misleading. Like the the final score, um, Cincinnati failed to capital. They they dominated, um, you know, the field position game all game. Cincinnati just failed to capitalize. Um, they did some dumb stuff with their offensive play calling. Uh, yeah, it was not a great. It was not in any way a great game uh, for UCLA. And that they that Cincinnati defense is very good. Uh, so. Don't, I guess I would say like, don't, don't over, I'm like, it was a horrific performance for UCLA, but don't read too much into it because it's not like they lost to Georgia Southern. <laughs> like Cincinnati's going to finish with double digit wins in all likelihood. So um, they're a pretty good team. Um, but the models got this as still a UCLA favor in this game. Um, seven and a half points, um, 7.57. They've got a uh, 73% win probability coming into the game. So the model still likes the Bruins. There's some, like, I do want to say there were some positives in the game. UCLA's rush defense was actually pretty stout up the middle in particular. Uh, and Cincinnati really did commit to the run in a weird way. The pass defense wasn't great and they did struggle to get to the quarterback uh, a little bit in the game. Um, but offensively, there wasn't much to hang their hat on beyond a couple very big plays. Like the the, the passing game just looked uh, horrific, and then the the rushing you know the rushing game wasn't there either. It'll be interesting to see if Joshua Kelly is in this game. Uh, and I, I'm glad you and brought it Holmes. Oh yeah. No, I know there was a lot of players out like we had talked about. I think one of the things to keep in mind is um, you had mentioned UCLA's rush defense being pretty solid. That is the bread and butter for San Diego State. Juwan Washington is another in a string of good running backs. And they have a quarterback that I don't really challenge uh, or I'm not super pumped up about and can be inefficient on offense. So, Max, you know, you're taking a look at a team that probably has a good defense right well well coached on the defensive front um they they have a an ability to really stuff and keep that run uh run offense from opposing teams uh, pretty low what do you think well i was gonna actually ask rob something rob where does what is san diego state's um defensive rating on the model versus cincinnati let me pull it up real quick because sorry my apologies because of course there's a game currently going on and because notre dame doesn't play till tomorrow i just I think that this game is a stay away for me until uh, I see which UCLA players are, are if they're going to play or not, just because they didn't have a lot or they were missing a lot of starters last game. Um, I was surprised to see the uh, total at 47. I thought that that would be lower in, in the low forties. Um, but I guess people are still trying um, to, uh, or, or that folks are still inflating the totals a little bit just because of the Chip Kelly offense. But man, Dorian Thompson Robinson looked miserable, and and San Diego State's quarterback Ryan Agnew also miserable. But he also, I mean, San Diego State did pull off the upset against Arizona State last season. Um, I'm and and and, and yeah, and like what Rob was saying, UCLA's run defense against Warren and Warren's a really good back and and um, Doug too. Like they were really solid and. Juwan Washington, I think, averaged like less than two and a half yards per carry against Weber State. And if UCLA um, loads loads up the box, which I, I think you kind of have to against San Diego State, um, I I think San Diego State's going to have trouble um, moving the ball. And I don't really trust Ryan Agnew to take advantage of UCLA secondary, especially if Darnay Holmes comes back, because I think that he's a total game changer back there. Um, so if 
like Kelly comes back and Holmes comes back and Howard comes back. Um, I'd probably lean UCLA and, and I would, and I'd definitely take a look at the under. Um, but for me, I, I just, I can't make a pick until I learn more about the uh, statuses of those players. Rob, what do those numbers say? So they came in at 61, uh, in the projection model coming into this season. Um, and the projection model, I think can underrate group of good group of five teams that are well coached because they, um, because they don't recruit as well. Uh, but they, they were, they were number 51 in returning production. So that's not terrible. Rocky Long's a terrific defensive coach, but that's 61 for a, a defensive unit um, for a group of five team. That's actually a pretty solid projection coming into the season that, that they'll probably finish in the forties, which is a great finish for a group of five defense. Uh, th- this is such a tough game, but the like, offense is awful. I know. Weaver they're so State. bad. They're um, and particularly since UCLA's run defense uh, is probably the stronger portion of that defense as as it is right now. Yikes, uh, six and a half points. All right, I'll take UCLA, but I love that under. I think that's a really good idea. I think at some point they're going to hit maybe 30 points in this game because, like, how on earth is UCLA going to put points on the board? But they probably will just because they, they'll out-talent San Diego State. So, yeah, I like that a lot. What do you think, Rob? What are you taking? I'm going to take I'm going to take UCLA here. I, I think that even as as much as this offense could potentially struggle in this game and, and Rocky Long is, I think, a really underrated coach. Um, I, I think the talent level still is, is high. And I also think that Chip, they're going to have to make some adjustments. They can't be as bad as they were. I mean, if they are, then man, the Chip Kelly era is uh, off to a great start. <laughs> my goodness. Oh my gosh. All right. So one team though, that uh, was really tearing it up is Washington state 58 to seven against New Mexico state. And that line had been about 32 and a half. And I really liked the, uh, I, I liked New Mexico state. I thought that they'd at least put up a couple points, but that defense was able to hold New Mexico state, which wasn't great, right? New Mexico state, not a good offense. Um, only scored seven points, 58 burger dropped by Washington state. Uh, Gordon had 420 yards, five touchdowns, really, really consistent. Uh, he went 29 to 35. So one of the things that was really important and Mike Leach loves is accuracy, 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 and certainly got it. Also had a gauge Gabru sighting, right? 76 yards. He was nine for 11 and a touchdown. So nice to see him out there. And then holy goodness, Max Borgi, Max, you, you had, I think you had picked him up right in our fantasy league, but he had a heck of a game. No, I actually had Zach Moss, but I was, so basically my Pac-12 uh, fantasy running backs on my big board, it was Eno Benjamin one, Zach Moss two, and Max Borg, Borg, Borgie three. And I thought Borgie was, was really underrated heading into the season. And no, I, he just, he seems legit and, and he's going to get a lot of those short passes and, and, and Mike Leach's offense. So I, I think that he definitely is in line for a nice breakout season up in, in Pullman. Yeah, and really not a lot to talk about here because uh, Washington State has Northern Colorado 2 p.m. on Saturday, and I even know what channel it was yet. It hadn't been picked up yet, so uh, probably like on Stadium or something. But anything that you're looking for in this game, I, I just thought that their performance against New Mexico State was about as good as you can ask. So it wasn't, I mean, they, they were able to hold New Mexico State to a low point total, and they were able to put the ball up uh, on the ground and through the air, which is pretty impressive. But Max, any key points here on Northern Colorado? No, just seeing how, um, oh, for, or for North Colorado. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. No, just, uh, yeah, just on the game. Yeah. <laughs> Max, give us a full <laughs> okay. breakdown of Northern Colorado. <laughs> you threw me there for a loop for a sec. Um, I'm just, you know, just seeing Anthony Gordon, if like, if the first game 
I mean, granted, it, it is against a, an, another weak opponent, but he just he, he looked really sharp in the first game, and and I didn't think that Washington State would be able to replace Gardner Minshew, but just seeing if Gordon can you know keep that level of consistency even against a weak opponent like uh, Northern Colorado. All right, all right. Uh, anything to say on this game, Robert? Should we go to ASU Sacramento State? No, I mean you just want to see them continue the tune-up because they've got Houston the next week, and um, Houston is struggling with juggernaut Oklahoma, but they they might be a challenge for Washington State. Oh, certainly. Um, Friday, seven p.m. on the Pac-12 Network, ASU has Sacramento State. ASU ended up beating Kent State thirty to seven. They didn't cover the spread, but looked pretty good. Kent State's offense just looked terrible. I'm not certain if this was a an ASU defense thing or a Kent State offense thing. We'll kind of see in a couple games. That's why the model really kicks in over time as the data continues to come um but asu did keep kent state under 200 yards i I watched this basically this entire game only 80 yards through the air 120 on the ground they had six fumbles it was just like comical how much how much they lost that ball the one thing to keep in mind was asu gave up seven and a half tackles for a loss to kent state front seven so that's kind of an interesting stat the one thing that that was uh exciting for me and again we'll see if this was just a lack of opponent or whether or not it was the case but i liked the front seven of asu i thought they were able to get in the backfield a lot i like dj davidson i like george lee um i thought that they were pretty solid on the offensive front um you know jane daniels was uh 15 for 24 two touchdowns um you know, Benjamin had an okay game, 102 yards, but he did get a touchdown through the air. Brandon Ayuk had a, you know, his, his stats were a little inflated because he had like a 70 yard touchdown pass, but four receptions for 140 and a touchdown. Um, and then you saw Frank Darby get in on the, the action and stuff. So kind of, I don't know. It was, it was more of a tune up game, but I thought ASC performed about as well as, as, uh, expected with a freshman, true freshman quarterback and, and a conservative play call. And again, shouts to you, Max, for calling that under that helped me out a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> I went six and one uh, against the spread uh, not on this podcast but just uh, in general so that was one of the bets that i had made uh and hit that so uh, anything that we should be looking at for asu max uh, that stands out for you well i think like you were saying with um kent state with uh, all those tackles for loss i mean arizona state lost their starting center um for at least a few weeks uh yeah, yeah four to six weeks with a broken foot and and he was like um definitely on on a like a first or second team all pack 12 and if the offensive line isn't isn't protecting Jaden daniels i mean he's still a true freshman quarterback and i i thought he looked solid um you know benjamin i, I thought was you know he he was fine but he didn't like really jump off the screen yeah i still think that they're like like Nikhil Harry leaving and just having defenses focusing on him, I think really opened things up for Benjamin last season. And I think now that Benjamin's the star of this team, defenses are more focusing on him. So he won't be as effective as he was last year. And then I also like, like you were saying, I think Arizona state's uh, front seven is underrated just because it was an extremely young group last year and so now they have another year of experience under their belt and and that looks like it could be a potentially dangerous unit yeah i i like it and then you have merlin robertson back there and and some of the, the one of their linebackers so i think there's some players on that front and i'm, I'm glad you brought up the offensive line we had hithliday um and we're going to be releasing some podcasts with him just really doing some in in-depth breakdowns of these teams and one of the things that he had mentioned was that this coaching staff doesn't really believe in offensive line positions they just feel like they can move people around at will and that's great if you have some really really good commits and some excellent athletes asu tends to get some good players but 
they're usually not in the trenches. So um, I'm just going to keep an eye on that, particularly, like you mentioned, with the injury of their center. Rob, anything to see, uh, say in ASU? Yeah, they better tune up, too, because they got Michigan State after this. So, oh, oh I'm, uh, gonna, I'm all over Michigan please, State in that please, game. <laughs> please, please clean up. Like if, if they come out of this with a bunch of more tackles for a loss on offense, like, ooh, buddy, I don't want to go against that Michigan State defensive <laughs> line like that. Uh-uh. Jaden da- Daniels, that toothpick, he may not survive. That may be the bet, of the, the bet of the year, depending on what the line is. I'm really hoping that ASU just crushes <laughs> Sacramento State and comes into Michigan State as, like, you know, a four-point dog or something. Something like that. It'd be great. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, Michigan State's going to be a double-digit favorite in that game. Oh, boo, boo. That, that's like, okay, all right, all right. But Troy Taylor, Sacramento State's new coach, he's the Utah, former Utah offensive court, the latest one that Kyle Whittingham chased off. So, yeah, like, I mean, he's, he's at least familiar with ASU and what they're doing. All right, Saturday, 10 a.m. on the Pac-12 Network, Utah is a 23-point favorite at home against Northern Illinois. This was a rock fight last last year. I mean, just really, really a brutal, brutal, like cheese at bowl level type game. Uh, but Utah was able to take it away. And Northern Illinois had a really good defense. So I'm not trying to to dump on Utah. They, they played a defense that was ready to play and, and senior laden and experienced, but were able to take that W. Uh, basically, Northern Illinois loses a lot of uh, a lot of production on the defensive front. They go to Salt Lake City. The one thing I just this this offense, man, like I was really disappointed. I wanted to see Huntley throw it a little bit more. He was 13 for 16, so super accurate. Uh, Only 106 yards through the air. No touchdowns, no picks. This was the same old like Utah's going to run the ball and we're going to hope that we get a couple defensive turnovers and we're just going to hold the other team um i just i i I understand they were on the road there against byu so i i get all of that stuff i guess in my heart of hearts i truly believe that for utah to get to a level that they need to get to they need to start throwing the ball and have some semblance of a pass offense and just you know like there was drop balls from their their tight ends and their wide receivers and it just seemed like they didn't have it on the offensive side when they were throwing the ball around it was just one game it was on the road tough environment but still just something to flag for the future but again very impressive win against BYU what what did what did you guys think about uh, let's go with you here Rob what did you think about that game and um you know anytime it's a rivalry game you can come away with a convincing win that's great i love the fact that the uh, the transferred uh, linebacker from BYU ended up grabbing Bernard, yeah. a couple of picks. That was pretty solid. Um, I don't know. What'd you think? I was really, so I was, I was not, I, I'm like you, I, I, I was not super impressed with how Utah's offense shook out. I'm, I'm going to say, I think BYU Satake is a, is a good defensive you know coach. He's got a good defensive coordinator. BYU's likely to have another good defense. Um, and it is a rivalry game. So and it's Utah's first game with a yet another new offensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, I would like to see more Northern Illinois, even though they're losing a bunch, like they've had some good defenses in the past. You expect them to be well coached in this game. So um, I'd like to, I would like to see the Utes, um, you know, really, uh, really try to, you know, pour it on here uh, against a, what should be at least a decent group of five unit. Um, but I was impressed with the, the adjustments that Scaly made. Um, from the first half to the second half, I was listening to this game on the radio as I was driving back from Cincinnati. Um, you know, like they, they really did clamp down, uh, and figure it out because BYU was able to move the ball a little bit on them. And it really helped having, uh, an A and an I and foe to be able to get in the backfield and cause havoc. 
Um, but they they really clamped it down uh, and forced Wilson to to take a little more time with his throws, and that was the end for BYU's offense. Max, were you impressed with Utah taking taking one on the road nine in a row? By the way, so shouts to Utah. I know that there was a bunch of bunch of tweets out there just with the number nine, um, like Ed Rooney and in uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, like nine times, nine times, nine times. So uh, it, it's hard for any team to beat a rival that has had some success too. You know, it's not like they're playing. It's not like Colorado, Colorado State, like Utah, BYU, BYU set some good teams, and to beat them nine times is impressive. What did you think about this win? No, I just thought it was really impressive how they pulled away in the second half, especially after BYU. I thought outplayed them in the first half, but then they they just got the the pick six, which was you know created by their ferocious defensive lines pressure. Um, I definitely would like to see more aerial attack from Huntley this week. And actually, I mean Northern Illinois they did a really nice job containing Moss last year, and it was Huntley and, and Britton Covey that had to step up uh, for the Utes in order to escape with that seventeen six win. But Northern Illinois, they, they definitely have the look of a solid defense, but they lost um, one of the best defenders in the MAC in Sutton Smith. So I think that, that that's obviously a big departure there. And then just looking at their game against Illinois State, I mean, Sutton Smith, he was just such an incredible pass rusher. And Northern Illinois only got one sack um, last game, and uh, Illinois State uh, attempted 32 passes. So I, I, I don't know what the pressure stats were. But I mean, just looking at, at like the bare bones, if, if you're not going to get any pass rush on Utah, if they're if they have to pass, um, that's definitely not <laughs> that's not how you contain this youth team. Yeah, I think Utah's going to stomp NAU, but I'd like to see the numbers here. Rob, what, what do you got? Uh, so Utah is a 13 and a half point favorite, 85 percent win probability in the game. Um, yeah, the model likes the Utes here, and um, they should be able to to roll pretty handily in this game, I would think. Now the spread's twenty three, though, so that's ten points off of Beta Rank. <laughs> so what yeah, do you think? I was about to say no. I twenty three is a lot. I I wow. I mean, rolling for Utah is like a eighteen point win, right? <laughs> I I don't know. I think this is going to be like a like a thirty five seven or a thirty five ten type of game. I, you know, they're not going to they're going to drop a forty or fifty burger on them, but I just don't think that any is going to or NIU is going to be able to stop stop the offense and stop the rush. Well, uh, so I don't. Know, I'll take the use. What do you think? What are you going to take, Rob? Uh, I'm going to take NIU versus uh, twenty three points. Okay. How about you, Max? I'll back Rob's model. I'll go. I'll go NIU, even though I, I don't think that the defense is as good. But I, I don't know. It just seems like Utah um, game after an emotional rivalry game, maybe a, a little bit of a letdown factor to start. And I, I, I think that this is going to be a physical game. I just, I again, like I can't believe how many unders I'm taking this week. But the under in this one, at least what it opened at, was 45, and and that like. I just see this as maybe like a, a tw- like a twenty three to seven type of game, maybe something like that, twenty four to seven, and so I think forty five is too high there. Okay, you, you hear that, Utah fans? Max doesn't trust your offense, so you know I'm just throwing that out there in the ether. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I could I could totally see where they're just kind of they're playing a Utah game, right? We're going to score as many points as we need to to win this game, and then we're just going to kind of sit sit on uh, the chest of NIU. So let's uh, let's keep an eye on that. Last game um, is uh, Arizona plays Northern Arizona at home. We've covered at length, especially on Wildcat Radio, Arizona stuff. So we'll keep this fairly short here. 
but um, Arizona's secondary is kind of a mess. Uh, Rob, anything that we really need to, anything that your eyes are going to in regards to playing NAU, a team that is an FCS school, there's not, you know, there's not going to be a line in this game, but what, what does Arizona have to do to impress you, or is it just nothing because NAU isn't very good? No, I mean, they have to keep NAU under 20 points. That they, they have to keep them short of putting up, you know, three touchdowns. So it's I'm if if they come out of this game and they've given up, you know, you know over over 350 yards and 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 given up, you know, three touchdowns or you know gotten over that 21 point mark, like um, that's that's a really big concern. I don't have I, like I think people are over. I don't have a huge number of complaints or worries about the as many about the Arizona offense. I do. I have big, big concerns about Arizona's defense. Yeah, I'm, I would say like it'd be interesting to see if they put an over on this game. I'd probably take the over if it's even if it's in the fifties or the high fifties. I think Arizona scores forty points and then gives up seventeen or twenty to uh, to NAU. I just I don't trust the defense. But I'm curious, anything you're looking for, Max? Uh, no, I, I think like, like Rob, just seeing an improved defensive effort would do wonders and, and seeing, uh, how comfortable Quill Tate looks uh, against an inferior opponent, just because while I definitely think he looked healthier last game, there were still some moments where it, it just didn't feel like the Quill Tate of 2017 was back. And maybe it's just because he's not a Kevin Sumlin quarterback and that he's a rich rod quarterback, but those would probably be the two areas and, and they're, they're pretty macro areas, but I feel like with Arizona, just like sticking or going back to basics could really help this team. Okay. Well, we'll leave it there. So last week, Rob, you went six and three against the spread. Max, you and I went four and six and, uh, and we'll, we'll continue to put our records up and you can go to our website, sharpcollegefootball.com. Uh, Max, where can the fine people follow you and your work? At B Max Meyer, and and I, and I think you get you didn't give me enough. I, I thought I went five and five against the spread. Oh, did you go? Do you go five? I'll I'll take a look again, and we'll we'll, we'll make sure to. Uh, <laughs> I might do an edit. He screwed up my numbers last year too. <laughs> I'll do an OMS, OMS budsman or whatever at the end of this podcast. So we'll take a look. <laughs> oh man! Uh, but, but, um, yeah, you you can you can find me at uh, at B Max Meyer on Twitter. Um, you can uh, go to si.com gambling uh for my best bets so far they're four and two on the season though admittedly one of them was auburn so i'm, I'm feeling a little fortunate there but i'm sure the luck will bounce out throughout the season um yeah so th- that's where you can find me yeah and clearly max knows his stuff the the content that they're producing there at, at sports illustrated gambling is quite good so si gambling definitely check him out uh check out rob's numbers at beta rank and then rob where can people find you on twitter uh i'm at at beta rank fb and uh, also at Sharp College Football. All right. Well, thanks for joining, guys, and we will catch everybody next week. Oh, by the way, we'll have another a second podcast coming up where, again, Rob and I are talking with Hithliday about USC and, uh, and ASU. Really good stuff. And I think it's fun to release now as some of these games are happening. And we're going to do this for all the Pac-12 South teams. And then we're going to talk with Hithliday uh, in the Pac-12 North uh, after there's been a couple games after we get past non-conference season. So uh, definitely check those out, and we will talk to you soon. It's me, Bryant. I just took a look at Max's numbers. He's five and five on the seasons. He was right. He was right. My apologies. I'm trying to bring everybody down into the swamp with me with my my bad first week. But I'll come back. I'll come back. <laughs>